So if you start by turning to page 1124 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, you'll be able to find Acts chapter 6, starting to read at verse 9, going through to 23. So that's Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through to 23 on page 1124. So Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So if we turn on now to Galatians on page 1168 of those Bibles, we're going to be reading from verse 11 of chapter 1 through to the end of the chapter, verse 24. So that's page 1168. And this is Paul writing to the Galatian Christians. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. 
I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that that is what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was asked that very question that uh, Matt asked us. What's the most significant moment in your life? I'm sure very quickly he would say it was the Damascus Road when I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And hopefully it's the same with the majority of you. The most significant moment in your life was when you met the Lord Jesus Christ. It was certainly for me. But other significant moments too. Getting married, that's a significant moment, isn't it? And the birth of your children, that's a very significant moment. They're kind of written into your memory, aren't they? You wake up at night sometimes, wow, did that really happen? And when, when our first child was born, a significant thing happened to me too, that for the very first, the, the, the one and only time in my life, I, in the 40 years of knowing my wife, she used a swear word. Just that once, that's the only swear word I've heard from my wife is that when she was giving birth, she might not like me saying this, to our very first child. But those of you that have given birth, you can say, only one swear word? That's, she did very well. And sometimes giving birth isn't easy, and that wasn't an easy birth for Alison. And she was at the stage when literally she'd had enough. It seemed like about a fortnight she'd been in labour for, and, and dawn had come up over one side of Brighton, and it sunk in the other, and was coming up again. And she'd had enough, and this... this young ginger head doctor, I can remember coming in and, you know, bright as the day as they are with a huge set of forceps in his hand and he said, Mrs. Washington, I'm here to deliver your baby. To which she replied, I don't be, that was the, that was the swear word, it wasn't too bad, I don't be, care who you are, get this baby out. Which she did. In chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul said to these Galatian believers, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish that I could be with you now. I'm writing a letter, but I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul used that, I'm in the pains of childbirth. Most of us can grasp that's pretty painful. Paul was in pains because his children were just being led astray, as we learned last week, by false teachers. He's desperate for them, for them to have Christ formed in them, so that they would be mature and strong, and wouldn't be led astray by these false teachers. Paul was perplexed about them. 
So Paul in Galatians is writing to overcome a problem. And that's what he's trying to sort out in, in, in chapter 1, but right the way through the epistle to the Galatians. He's trying to sort out the problem because he wants them to walk and again to become mature with Christ. And reading between the lines, these false teachers had come in, and as false teachers so often do, they'd, they'd undermined what was already there, they'd undermined the Apostle Paul, they'd undermined his authority, and they'd undermined his message. Hence, what we heard last week was, the gospel is the only gospel. There is no other gospel. This gospel, said Paul, that I preach to you is the gospel that God has given. And he goes on in the, in the next part of chapter 1 to explain that further. But, but they'd undermined Paul. They'd said, he's not really, he's not a real apostle, not like the other ones back in Jerusalem. And the message that he preached was a bit second-hand, really. It's something partly that he's made up. Paul was a bit of a crazy guy. And as we learned in Acts, and as we've seen from his testimony and will see, from all outward appearances, Paul was a crazy guy. He was a religious nutcase, really, going around persecuting the church of God violently, dragging people off to prison, putting them to death. So when the the false teachers came and said, the apostle Paul, he's a crazy guy. You, You surely can't believe what he told you was the truth. And... They also said, he's a bit of a man pleaser too. He's trying to, get you, trying to get you on his side. So what Paul is doing in this letter is answering those questions and saying that I am preaching the true gospel and the gospel that I got was not from man, it was from God. And Paul is saying to these Galatians, you foolish Galatians, he sees them, they're, they're foolish because they were believing the false teachers. They were taking on board the teaching that as Phil clearly taught us last week, is destructive. It's destructive to their faith and to their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first of all, we see in this, in this letter, but in chapter 1 particularly, Paul defends his gospel. He shows to them that this is God's message. It's not man's message that he's preaching. It's God's message. And then secondly, we see him defending his character and his calling. So not only is he preaching God's message, but he, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is God's messenger, specially set apart for this task. He really is. As he came to the the Galatian Christians, he came with God's message, and he was God's messenger bringing this message. It's a fiery letter And Paul is furious, really furious with the false teachers, and he's perplexed with the Christians. So as we study these verses together, first of all, let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the joy of looking into your word. We thank you that you are the same God as you were all those years ago. You don't change at all. And the gospel is the same gospel. How did we come to faith? We, We heard the gospel. And we believed it and we came to a life that just literally knocked our socks off. The most significant things in our life was coming to know you. And we thank you for it and pray now that as we look into your word, so you by your spirit would open our eyes to see things that pretty much are almost impossible for us to see. Open our understanding to to grasp the incomprehensible this evening we pray. Amen. 
Okay, so first of all, in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, if you just look at it there, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, Paul is saying to them that I'm preaching God's message. But first of all, he says, brothers and sisters, or the old version says brothers, but it means brothers and sisters. He's perplexed by these Christians. He's furious with the false teachers, but he addresses them as brothers and sisters. There's, there's, there's anger in this letter. There's perplexity in this letter. But, but over and above all that, there is real love. The love of the Apostle Paul for these beloved children. They're brothers and sisters with him in Christ. And Paul never loses sight of that. The church of God is a family We're brothers and sisters together. And when there are difficult and thorny issues to address, then we must never forget that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There are thorny issues ahead for the Church of Christ. There are thorny issues for the Church of England. We need to remember, as Paul did, brothers and sisters. These things are addressed in love. He wants the best for them. He wants to bring them back to being in Christ and to enjoy the fullness of that. So Paul preached God's message. Verse 11, it's not from man. Again, he's addressing this this undermining of himself. It's, it's, It's a gospel that Paul's made up. But Paul says here in verse 11, it's not from man. It's not made up. Most religions are. Most religions and isms are made up. They're they're teachings that have grown, that have developed over the years. Judaism had become like that. Paul refers to it as the traditions of the fathers. There was just this bunch of traditions that had built up. But the gospel that Paul preached, God's message, was not from man. It's not a philosophy. It's something that came to him direct from God. We see that in verse 12. The gospel is from God. I received it by direct Revelation. It's not something that came to me secondhand. I didn't get it from the apostles, the other apostles, the disciples in Jerusalem. Somebody didn't come along and teach it to me, but I had a direct revelation from God. He didn't arrive at an understanding. He didn't learn it. He didn't make it up. He hadn't worked it out. It was revealed to him by the risen Christ. It was just like the word is, is, it means unveiled. The gospel was unveiled to Paul. Paul met with the risen Christ, and the risen Christ unveiled to him the gospel message that he was going to preach. You know, sometimes at these like um, car shows that they have, the, the, the new model is hidden, isn't it, underneath a, a sheet? And then just at the moment, when all the press are ready, they lift the sheet, and there is the brand new Jaguar or Robin Reliant or whatever it might be and it's unveiled and the same thing Paul had this message from God unveiled to him it must have been a shock to the Apostle Paul this this Christ-hating violent Judaistic man the the gospel was revealed that, that incorporated the Gentiles it must have literally rocked him So the gospel is not from man, verse 11. The gospel is from God, verse 12. Paul is is given a divine message to preach, and here he is given a divine commission to preach it. Verses 13 through to the end of verse 24, Paul is defending himself as God's messenger. And he does that by, first of all, saying, this was my old life. This is what I was before. Yes, you've heard rumours about me. You've heard things said about me. Do you know what? They're true. 
absolutely true. Hold my hands up. I was a violent persecutor of the church of God. And probably Paul was thoroughly ashamed of those times. But he had known forgiveness. I often wonder to myself, did Paul wake up at night sometimes thinking, what did I do all those years ago? Dragging those people off. I just maybe I don't think he did because he understood and grasped forgiveness so much that he didn't drive himself nuts. He understood, yes, I did do those things, but God has forgiven me. Sometimes, don't we, the things we've done in the past, you do wake up at night. I look back to when I was a teenager and stuff, I said, Did I do that? Did I say that? You've upset people along the way. Did I oh I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I could take it back. But we've got to take on board God's forgiveness. We're not perfect. Forgive us our trespasses and sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? God has forgiven us, wiped clear. We are also to forgive one another, wiped clear. Quite difficult to do that at times, especially in a church where we're such a variety and such a ragbag of different people. But Paul is given a divine commission to preach the gospel. He is God's messenger and he lived an old life. And in verses 13 and 14, look down at that. Paul's old life was steeped in Judaism. He was steeped in Judaism and he violently persecuted the church of God. He violently persecuted. He doesn't go on about the things that he did, but we know from, from Acts and from the other passages, he was a really nasty piece of work. They must have feared the Apostle Paul coming. The knock at the door, dragged off, put to death. They They were put in prison. Women too, it said. So Paul violently persecuted the church of God. We read in Acts 9, 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Acts 8, 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. They must have been terrified of the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was in those days, coming along. He was a bright bloke. He was an A-star student as a Jew. He was advancing in knowledge. He was extremely zealous for the traditions. That The word there, um, advancing in knowledge, means chopping ahead. He was blazing a trail through this, through this forest, way ahead of his contemporaries. They must have hated the, the first Saul because he was so clever. He was so far ahead of what they were doing. He was blazing a trail. He was destroying the church of God. He thought he was doing God's work. But then we come to, ver- to verse 15. But when God. So we've seen Paul's old life. Then verse 15, we come to Paul's new life. 15 to 24. First of all, in verse 15, his conversion. His conversion. God didn't look down from heaven and think, that guy Saul, he is a plague. He needs redirecting in his life. I'm going to go down and I'm going to sort Paul out. I'm going to have a word with him. I'm going to turn him away from what he's doing and I'm going to sort him out. He's just too much of a nuisance. The church of God doesn't need Saul. God didn't do that. What we learn here, as we learn in other parts of the scripture, we see things from God's perspective. We see how God works things out. And what we learn here in verse 15, that even before his birth, even before his birth, all the time that he was a a church-hating, zealous 
Jew, God had set him apart. He'd separated him, he'd marked him out, he'd consecrated him for salvation, but also for apostolic leadership, even before his birth. This is the mystery of God's work in in the human life. God's work is of predestination. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, he chose us in him, and that's, he's speaking to Christians, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Before the creation of the world we were chosen. To do what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Predestination is incomprehensible to the human mind. Who can grasp these things? But God reveals them to us. Faith grasps predestination. Our pride doesn't really like that. We just kind of, do you know what? I don't like that. It's it's a bit uncomfortable until it's revealed to us. And then when the, the doctrines of grace, predestination, whatever it might be, is revealed to us, it's the most glorious truth that you would ever know. It's the sweetest, it's the most comforting, it's the most liberating truth that there is. That before I was born, God had his hand on my life. It's just, it's incredible, it's unbelievable, but it's true. And for the Apostle Paul, it wasn't a chance that he became an apostle. It wasn't by chance that he became a Christian, but it was before he was even born. He was set apart in eternity but he was called by God's grace in time. We have been set apart in eternity, but there was a moment in time when each of us became Christians, or there is a moment in time when some of you will become Christians, when you, like Paul, will be converted, and that's by God's grace too. Paul was called and separated to salvation, but he was also called and separated for service. And it reads just like Jeremiah the prophet Jeremiah was the unwilling prophet. Lord, here I am, send somebody else. That was Jeremiah's whole thing. And, and in Jeremiah 1.5, we, we, we hear God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I did all this before you were born. And, and God is saying the same thing to Paul Before he was even born, I set him apart. He is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles of all things. The apostle to the Gentiles. What work has God got for you to do? What what work has God appointed before you were even born for you to do? The Christian life is, is exciting, isn't it? It could be anything. The scriptures say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has a work for us to do. Let him reveal that to you. God wants to bring you to himself. Let him do that. How did Paul come to faith? He had Jesus revealed in him. We go on there down through the verses. He had Jesus revealed in him. That's a funny way of describing becoming a Christian, isn't it? Jesus Christ was revealed to him on the Damascus Road. There he was walking along, about to, 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 to get the Christians in Damascus and drag them off. But it, it said Jesus was revealed in him, not to him. And that's a, that's a, a deliberate use of the words there. Because the Christian faith is about possession. 
It's about the possession of Christ. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, I and the Father will come and live in you. The true Christian is one who possesses Christ and one who is possessed by Christ. It's possession more than profession. That's what Christianity is about, it's possessing Christ. And it's being possessed by Christ. And that, that's, the, that's the amazing thing. That's what really staggered me when I became a Christian at the age of 20. I was possessed by the living God and it was beautiful. It was, I was like, wow, what is this? And then I understood what these God squad at school used to be on about. They're a funny lot, the old Christians at school. and never really attracted me to Christ for some reason or another. It wasn't my time. But it's profession. It's in its possession, it's possession, it's knowing Christ and having Christ in your heart. How was Paul changed from within? What was it that turned him around in his mind, in his heart, in his whole being to follow the Lord Jesus Christ on that day? What made this bloodthirsty, violent man into this gentle, loving? He's speaking to Gentiles, brothers and sisters. I'm perplexed about you. What was it? It was the indwelling Christ. It was the Holy Spirit within him that was transforming him. Paul explains to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 18, and we, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being conversion or this this new birth that we've experienced this start of the new life is something that we grow and mature into into the likeness of christ maybe you look at some new believers and you think oh they've got such a long way to go they have maybe you look at your own heart sometimes and you think i've got such a long way to go we have but we're progressing we're maturing we're we're growing in christ likeness as christ dwells in us we are being transformed into his image, into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory. Does it increase still, Ian, at the age of 83 or 4, whatever you are? It does, doesn't it? This, this transformation that goes on of Christ. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. The gospel is for all ages. You don't suddenly fall off the perch at the age of 60 and become irrelevant. Day by day, we're growing into his likeness. The revelation of Christ in Paul. It's not so that he could just like sit there and think, wow, this is wonderful. This is just gazing into space and being in some kind of contemplative bliss. Christ was revealed in him so that he could preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul did. Paul devoted his life to preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And it wasn't straightforward. And it wasn't easy. There were shipwrecks, there were beatings. You know the story in Acts. It was hard slog. His hope was yet to come. Yet Paul was God's instrument to the Gentiles. Verses 16b, the second half. What happened to Paul after his conversion? Did he then go leaping down to Jerusalem, going, yes, here I am, apostles. I've been commissioned to preach the gospel. Let me go. Let me out. No, Verse 17, Paul took time out. Straight after his conversion, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went into Arabia for three years. Strange. And then scripture is silent about it. It doesn't tell us what he did, who he met. 
It's just sunk. Paul went to Arabia for three years. It could have been three years. It could have been a year with a bit of a year either side. We don't know. Nor do we know what happened. Scripture is silent. The theologians, they've written books about what happened to Paul. And there's lots of disagreements in those books. But I've speculated too. Paul's life was turned around. It's just as though, well... He went from, eight, you know, from darkness to light, didn't he? Quite literally. So I'm sure that, that Paul went away. He took time out to get his head around what he'd just learned. This revelation that had happened to him and in him, he wanted to understand it. And I think, too, that during that time, the Lord spoke to him and taught him because Jesus said to Paul at another part of Acts, I will teach you, I'll show you things. And Paul's understanding of heavenly matters was just immense. You try and get your head round Romans. Try and dig to the bottom of Romans or even Galatians here. Justification by faith. These deep things. His understanding of the future. It was like, where did Paul get that from? I'm sure that during these three years away and in the presence of God, he understood more than anyone what God's purpose was and what his plans were because he was the apostle to teach them to others to teach them to others God was equipping him for his unique role as an apostle this is my thought this is not absolutely sure and certain but but in 2 Corinthians Paul is is defending himself again he always had to defend himself didn't he to the, the Christians who just wouldn't believe what he was saying and he was saying to them I knew a man I knew a man once it's Paul really but he said I knew a man he went up to the third heaven and he went to paradise and he heard inexpressible things that man isn't allowed even to talk about I I I wondered was it during these three years that Paul heard those inexpressible things that he couldn't even talk about maybe it was I don't know I'll leave that with you we all need times of rest and prayer and meditation in our Christian lives we dash around don't we 21st century is all about we dash here we dash there we we, we want knowledge? Hey, Google it. You've got knowledge. We were looking at something last night. We were just amazed. Alison and I are old gribbles, really. You know, we're, we're was it digital migrants, they call us. We're, we're, we're analog, really, but we've migrated into the digital world. and it's, it's quite strange. But we want some knowledge? Google it. There it is. All in Wikipedia, whatever it is. There it all is. It, we live at a very fast pace, and we're not designed to go at that space. We need times of rest. Meditation in our Christian life. Especially if we're called to serve God. So if you feel and sense that God is calling you to do something, then don't be surprised if God takes you aside for a while to build you up. And you might think, this is a waste of time. I want to get on. I want to get on with it. Nothing is a waste of time. Silence and prayer and meditation is the best use of time. Sometimes when I'm praying, I think to myself, there is nothing better than I could be doing right now than what I'm doing. There is nothing more significant than prayer. And the world counts for nothing, doesn't it, prayer? And yet we there, we are, we're addressing the living God. We call him our Father in heaven. We're right in his presence through the blood of Jesus. We pray. Nothing could be more important. So if you sense that God is calling you for a service, then don't be surprised if he takes you aside or... Maybe there are times in life too when you just, you need to take time out. 
I remember as a young Christian being told by an ex-missionary lady in our church. She was a, like an old school missionary lady. She was like a battle axe, really. I think, I think the, the, the old um, the Quechua Indians that she witnessed to, they must have dreaded her coming along the path. She was one of those kind of missions, you know, with a Bible in her hand. They, I believe, I believe, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but she was, she was a prayer warrior, this, this dear old lady was. And I remember as a young Christian being slightly terrified of her. And, and she took me one side of one day and she said, Brother, bathe in the word, bathe in the word. And it stayed with me. that She, she knew I was a new Christian. What do I need to do? Bathe in the word of God. That was her testimony. And how right she was. And, and in those days, in the heady days of 1974, whenever it was, that I was a fireman working here in Hove. That was my job at that time. I think it was down in Hove Street in those days. And we moved up to English, English Close while I was there. I was a fireman. And the night shifts were long. 15 hours the night shift. We did three days, three nights, three days off. 72 hours work from one end to the other. The three days, three nights. Long. If it was busy, whew, you're tired at the end of that. But the night shifts were 15 hours long. Six in the evening to nine in the morning. What a lovely time to bathe in the word of God. I became a Christian at that time. And there's little rooms or cubby holes that you could hide away in. And I literally, I did that. I bathed in the word of God. I, I read through the scriptures and I prayed them in and I prayed. And it, it was the best investment of time. Young people, where are you? There you are over there. Bathe in the word of God. Listen to the word of that old missionary who's now in heaven. Hear her voice. Bathe in the word of God. Douse yourself in it. It's the best thing that you can do. You want to invest in your future. You want to do well in your exams and the university. Do well in this. Understand the word of God. Get your head around it. We used to sing an old song. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct his likeness will see. A good faith, a deep faith in Christ helps us to ride the storms of life, the storms of the Christian life, which at times are violent beyond belief. Life is not straightforward. You think it's steep, and then it gets steeper. You think it's really steep, then sometimes it gets steeper still. And you think sometimes this is vertical, there's an overhang. Life can be like that, but God's grace is sufficient to help us through those things. And very often it's by prayer and the word of God that we get through those things. Paul did, in verses 18 to 23, let's get back to the passage, get acquainted with Peter and James. But it was only for a fortnight. He could not have learned what he learned so wonderfully in that fortnight. So he didn't learn it from the apostles. He went to Jerusalem to get acquainted, not to learn what to preach, but to, to, to get acquainted with them, to maybe, they've got things to talk about. I'm sure Peter wanted to hear about Paul's Damascus Road experience. And, and Paul, I'm sure, wanted to just to fill in a few gaps. Tell me about the, the life of the Lord Jesus. Tell me about when, when this happened, when that happened. And then verse 20, Paul says to these believers in Galatia, I'm telling you the truth. Listen, guys, I'm speaking the truth. And when we read Paul's letters to the Galatians, to the Romans, whatever we read in the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul is saying again, I'm not lying. 
this is the truth. In, in a world when there's just so much waffle, how wonderful it is, this is the truth. It's God's truth. We can rely on it, we can build on it. Paul's saying to these people, look guys, I'm an apostle, I speak with apostolic authority, I'm telling you the truth. The false teachers are telling you lies, but I'm telling you the truth. Then verse 21, after Jerusalem, he went up to Syria and Cilicia, and he remained unknown to the majority of Christians. But the report had got out, verse 23, verse 23, that wonderful, wonderful verse. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Verse 24, my third and final point, to God be the glory. Verse 24, and they praised God because of me. Wouldn't that be lovely to have that as your epitaph? Wouldn't that be lovely that when we get to heaven, that the Lord almost reminds us of that verse, and they praised me, Phil, because of you. And they praised me because of what you've done. Isn't that, for the Christian, that's the greatest reward, isn't it? Is to, to have God worshipped. God loves praise. We very often turn it a bit round, and they praise me because of God. There is a danger of that, especially in modern day churches, but that's another sermon. But the truth is, and they praised God because of me. Make that our ambition. So finally, youngsters in particular, but everybody else, what lesson can we take home tonight? What lesson from these words? What lesson can we learn from the Galatians? They'd struggle through it. God's word must be our guide in all spheres of life, because it's God's word. When we come across difficulties and problems, we don't philosophize our way around them. We can try, but we've got to come down to the word of God. God's word is our guide. Get rooted and grounded in the word. So get to know the Bible well. Get to know the Bible really, really well. Bathe in the word of God. Get to know the Lord well. Getting to know the Bible on its own is a bit dry, but get to know the Lord, the author of the Bible. Let him speak to you in your heart by his Spirit. Get to know the Lord well. Get to know the Lord really well. Dear old David, the David the psalmist who knew the Lord very well. His psalms show us that. He was passing on his wisdom to his son Solomon. And these are the words that he gave just before he died. David spoke to Solomon, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship him and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. Amen. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that if we seek you, we will find you. And I pray that if there are those here this evening that don't know you, that you would put within them that desire to seek you until they find you. And help us all, Lord, we pray, in the, the busyness of life to get to know the Bible well. Teach us from it, we pray, but most of all, help us to know you very well, really well. May we know something of what it is to have the love of God 
shared abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.